Welcome back to Culloden Christian Assembly's Home Bible Study app. We're still looking at the book of Hebrews and we're in study number 12, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Uh, the chapter we're considering today is chapter 10 from verse 19 to 39. So let's look at this chapter together and we trust that you'll be blessed. We just commend ourselves to God in prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for this access that we have into your immediate presence. And we pray that as we uh, bring together some of the thoughts we had during the study um, under this podcast. We pray that each one who is listening to it might benefit from it and be blessed. We leave ourselves in your presence in the Lord's holy name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at this chapter 10 from verse 19 to 39. I've entitled the study, Therefore, um, if you look in the, the podcast description, you find a, should find a link to the uh, PDF if you need it. Therefore, because you see, this whole section is really coming out of all that has gone before in Hebrews. We have looked at this one who is a greater priest, who can represent us in a way that no other priest really could, who can sympathize with us. Uh, he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's a priest with an untransferable priesthood. He is a priest in the power of an endless life. Uh, and this high priest that we have, who doesn't go into an earthly tabernacle, but has entered the true tabernacle, who's gone into heaven itself and is now seated at God's right hand for us, this high priest means that we have great privileges. We have a greater covenant. He's the mediator of a, a better covenant, it tells us. Uh, he's not associated with that old covenant of, of judgment and, and law and so on, this the covenant of Sinai, but rather with the new covenant blessings of forgiveness of sins, your sins and your iniquities, God promises, will I remember no more. New covenant blessings such as knowing the Lord um, and, and understanding him in a way that a previous generation uh, didn't really. And so a greater priest, a greater covenant, a greater sanctuary, we thought of that, the true tabernacle, we come into not an earthly sanctuary, not uh, a little model of the true thing, but into heaven itself um, in spirit when we pray. And of course, the middle wall, or I should say that the, 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 the two compartments of the tabernacle uh, have now been changed because you remember there was the, the opening of the way right into the holiest of all. And so not only is the high priest there, now we as priests can come into God's immediate presence. And of course, this is all based on the greater sacrifice. That's what the rest of chapter 10 has been about. We thought about that uh, last week. This greater final sacrifice, this, this sacrifice to end all sacrifices. We, we looked at verse number uh, 18, where there is remission of these sins. There is no longer an offering for sin. What, what, what's meant by that? Well, there's no need for an offering of sin anymore because... Your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more. And because of the value and virtue of the sacrifice of Christ at Calvary, and now he's gone into the presence of God in virtue of it. He's inaugurated a way into the immediate presence of God. Now we come and we come with all these blessings. Is it any wonder he's going to give us an exhortation initially in this section? He's going to say, therefore... Now that we know these things, and he'll, he'll sum them up again, and, and he'll tell us that we should draw near to God. 
I think we have to understand that that as far as the Christian faith is concerned, it's not just about head knowledge. It's not just about uh, me finding something out that's thrilling, but it, it's to assimilate and percolate into my whole being, my whole character. The old statement was, you are what you eat. In other words, when you take something into your body, it becomes part of you. And so when it comes to Christian truth, we are to be what we feed on as far as that's concerned. We, we, once we understand that we have this access into the immediate presence of God at any time of the day, 24-7, 365 days in a year, we should be accessing that. We should be appreciating it. And there's a way we should come, as we'll see in these coming verses. So therefore, I think, is a good way to summarize the rest of this chapter. Now we're going to see not only exhortation, but warning. As is often the case in Hebrew. We've tried to bring this out on several occasions in the past. There's these tensions in the Hebrew letter. He's speaking to a professing group of Christians who are from Hebrew descent and Hebrew background. They were Jews and they have they have come across to Christianity. He is worried that there might be some on the outskirts of that group that are just professing they haven't really uh, trusted the Lord for themselves. They do believe it's true, but they have not committed themselves to it. Like those that came to the, the, the border of the land at Kiddish Barnea, See chapter 3 and 4. And they just had to step into Canaan. They had to trust God and step into Canaan. And they would come into the blessings that were there for them. They had seen God at work in a mighty way. They had seen the Red Sea open. They had seen God providing manna for them every day. So, so they knew God was real. They knew they were, they were there just at the very edge of going in. And yet you'll remember what happened. The people refused to go in and God said, listen, not one of those will get in. Only Joshua and Caleb would go into the land from that generation. And that's the same picture that he's going to build in the the book of of Hebrews. They're here just on the edge of, of coming and stepping into Christianity in the fullest sense of the word. Stepping into Christ. Some of them are truly believers. He'll make that clear as we go down. Uh, those who believe to the saving of their soul, he, he takes it that the, the vast majority, I take it, are. But he also understands that there are some on the edge and he's worried about them. He's worried that they're going to do an about face, even though they have seen the light and they know the truth of it. They, they do an about face and go away from God and go away from Christ. And they trample underfoot the Son of God and go back to Judaism. And that's not just a simple thing of just jumping across into something that's similar. Nothing like that. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, these are not linked anymore. Judaism and Christianity are not linked. To go back to Judaism is to go back over Christ. They say Christ was an imposter. Jesus Christ was an imposter. They say that he was not the son of God. They said that... It was not the spirit of God at work, but but an unclean spirit. And to go back to Judaism was to go back to all of that. To make a public stand against Christ. And to do that for this generation which had so much light was to be was to go directly into apostasy and lose forever 
the opportunity of being saved. Now that's really clearly brought out in this passage. This is not just someone who happens to make a false profession of faith in Christ and then just waver a bit and not and even come to a conclusion they're not saved. This is someone who takes their stand, having known the absolute truthfulness of it all, takes their stand against Christ and denies everything about him. So we've got to understand the differences here. Of course, no true believer in the Lord Jesus, I'll repeat, no true believer in the Lord Jesus can't apostatize. He'll say this in the last verse. We are not of those who draw back to perdition. He's speaking about the saved people with him. We're not those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. So there's two groups of people here. There's a group who are Christians and potentially some around the edge, a mixed multitude around the edge that, that have adhered to Christianity and outwardly say that they're Christians, but have not truly trusted Christ. And there's a danger that that group will go back to Judaism under the pressure and they will lose out. And so he wants to bring the whole lot forward into true Christian development. And really that's what's happening in the background. Sorry, I know I keep repeating that, but it's really helpful to understand, especially when we come to these warning passages. And this is the fourth one, warning passages in the Hebrew letter. So let's read the chapter together and then we'll go down it in, in just four little uh, sections and then we'll leave it. Reading from verse number 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who rejected Moses' law died without mercy in the testimony, on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly when you became a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, partly why you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. 
For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now God blesses his word, I read from the New King James Version. So we've asked a number of questions on the um, handout. If you want to look at them, we'll, we'll draw from them as we go through. But really what I want to do is now focus on the breakdown, as I see it, of the chapter as it unfolds. And I'm just trying to sum this up in a simple way uh, in the next uh, 15 minutes or so. Um, I think with four main thoughts brought out. Verse 19 to 25, we have responding to privileges. Responding to how are we going to respond to all these blessings God has given us? And then there's from verse number 26 to 31, realizing the pearl. He wants those on the edge, uh, on the periphery, those who have uh, made a nominal um, trust uh, in Christ, have made an outward stand for Christ, but have not truly um, trusted him as yet. He wants them to be wary of their position and come truly into the good of uh, knowing Christ. And so we have a realizing the peril, the danger of going back to Judaism. 32 to 35, he recalls the past. He looks back and he tells them to do the, the same. So not only responding to privileges, realizing the peril, recalling the past. He says, like, you recall the way things really were. Um, says in verse number 32, recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering and so on. So he's calling the past. And finally, he's going to speak verse 36 to 39 about receiving the promise. The, there's this call to endurance. Uh, the, the endurance in the Christian life is a proof of the reality of the faith that you have. You might, you might believe you're a Christian, but if, for instance, you, you slide away into apostasy, that just proves there was no reality there in the first place, as we will see but anyhow let's come back to the passage for now and when i say about sliding away into apostasy i will say this i think there's a very specific context here where it's very like the the um the sin that the the pharisees and scribes were guilty of when the lord was here because the light was so great to close their eyes against that light was to be turned to darkness and that was a terrible thing. Um, I, I, I think God alone knows if any person gets to that stage where they not, not anymore are they hardening themselves against God, but they're being hardened. And that's a very solemn thing. And, and we don't want to trifle with that or think that there's something that we can tell from the outward about that. They're sufficient in the death of Christ to meet anyone's need. Sadly, some people are determined not to accept Christ and harden themselves and are hardened eventually uh, against him. So coming to the passage again, um, we'll look at the first section, responding to privileges, verse 19 to 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest of all, 
are the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. You'll notice, first of all, in verse 19, we have the price. With boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We've got this confidence now, because his precious blood has been shed. The blood of Jesus is not like the blood of animals, not like the blood of bulls and goats, which couldn't take away sin. But now the blood of Jesus has been shed. And the sacrifice of Calvary has happened. And so now there's a price that has been paid upon which all the blessings we have are based. Then he'll say in verse number 20 about the pathway. By a new and living way which he consecrated or inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And he's speaking about the fact that now we can be brought into the holiest of all. A new and living way. In fact it's very interesting this word for new is a word that, that's used for freshly slain. So you've got this idea of freshly slain and living. <laughs> well there's a sense in which that that, that is true. Um, it's a new and living way. This is the one way that we can come. And it's because the Lord Jesus, was, was sh- blood was shed at Calvary. And the virtue and value of that way that cost him so much means that we can come right into the presence of God. And we don't need to fear death at all. So there's a price, there's a pathway, and there's a person, there's a priest. And having a high priest over the house of God. And so now we have this great high priest. Let's stop and remember this is a Jewish background here. You imagine what it was like. That looking on those at altar reeked with blood of sacrifice. Knowing that there was only one that could get into God's presence. And even with that it was only on one day of the year. So only in one time of the whole calendar could one person go into the very presence of God. And even that, it was merely the presence of God in the sense that it was an earthly foreshadowing of the immediate presence of God. God no doubt made, there was a sense of his presence there that was nowhere else in this world. But really, it wasn't the true tabernacle, wasn't the inner sanctuary of heaven, as we read about in the Revelation. And so, with all these limitations, they, they would have been looking on this and thinking there's such a barrier to get into God's immediate presence, but no more. We now have boldness, we have confidence to enter the holiest, not that they could go into the earthly tabernacle uh, in, in, in Jerusalem. Or temple, I should say. Not that they could go into the sanctuary there. No, they can enter into the holiest, the very presence of God. And it's because of the virtue, it's the virtue and value of the blood of Jesus. There was a line of blood that sprinkled right into the very immediate presence of God in those old types and shadows. You know, the, the brazen altar was there and the blood was, was poured out all around it and splashed against the sides of it. And there, and there was blood that, that that priest had to then take, of course, and bring right into the immediate presence of God. The way in was the way of the blood by a new living way, which he has consecrated for us. You know, there's when you read the Old Testament story uh, of the high priest, you'll find these words that come up again and again, that he die not, that he die not. 
And so there's a sense in which there would have been great privilege for that high priest to go into the presence of God for the people. And probably a great lot of fear. Making sure everything was just right. We don't need to have that fear. We can have confidence. Why? Because it's a new and living way. We can come into the immediate presence of God. Having a high priest. That high priest of all old. He was only in once. We never see his work finished. He's out doing something the next day. He's starting off the new year's cycle. And yet, our high priest has gone into the inner sanctuary. Um, He has opened the way. His flesh has, has brought us right into God's immediate presence. Because of the work of Calvary and what he has accomplished... He has now taken his seat at God's right hand. And so when we come into God's immediate presence, we'll think in a minute, we come also into the presence of our great high priest. He is there. And so we, to all our prayers and praises, Christ adds his sweet perfume. He is there. His, his sympathies are with us. He has his, our names on his heart and on his shoulders. You remember the symbolism there? Uh, And so this is what we have. And he's drawing some of these thoughts together now. So just as we can continue here, let's notice the three let us's. (coughs) Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works now let's dig into these a little bit more the first one is communion with our god let us draw near the second one is the confession of our hope let us hold fast the confession of our hope and the third one is the community with our brothers and sisters let us consider one another lean on one another stir one another up not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together the communion with our God. Let's think about this a little bit more. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies watched with pure water. So he says, let's come with a true or a truthful heart in full assurance of faith. We can come confidently Stepping forward in faith into the immediate presence of God. Because of all we know about the access we now have into God's immediate presence. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Now I think he's he's drawing us back in picture to what happened with those priests. They would have gone to the brazen altar and offered the sacrifice. On that brazen altar, that burnt offering altar, right at the front, the big one right at the front of the tabernacle, there was blood there. And of course the priests had to be, in that sense, sprinkled with the blood. The way we can come near is remembering the value of the blood of Christ, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. We no longer need to worry about sins as we come into God's immediate presence. Why? Because the blood has been sprinkled. And we come and appreciate the death of Christ again. We come into God's presence appreciating the value of that work. Uh, So we come with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. 
and our bodies washed with pure water. Well, if our heart speaks about our inner being, our bodies speak, I, I take it, about our outer actions. And what does it mean, washed with pure water? Well, as they went about their, the daily tasks of, of sacrifice and so on in the tabernacle, they, and they were walking towards that sanctuary, not only would they have come across the burnt offering altar, the big, the big bronze or brazen altar at the front, they would have come across another vessel. It was the laver. And the laver was made up, made from the looking glasses of the women, the, the mirrors that they used. So they would have got a piece of um, either either bronze or copper and they would have polished it and polished it and polished it. And, and they could therefore look at themselves. And, and it was specified that it was that, it was that copper that would be used in the laver. And so you can imagine how, how bright and shiny it was as those priests come to it and they, they take some of the water out of that laver and they wash their hands and they, they wash off the defilement uh, of their feet and hands and so on. And what, what, what am I getting at here? Well, they had to examine themselves. They could because of that wonderful vessel in front of them they could see themselves and examine themselves and apply the water to themselves well the water in the new testament speaks of the the water of the word uh, often the spirit of god's involved in in the thought of water too but here we have i think something that that we must take to, to heart as we draw near into god's presence not only should our hearts be sprinkled from an evil conscience in the sense that we we come confessing our sin realizing again the value of the death of Christ, but we should come with our actions adjusted by the word of God, self-examination, as that laver would speak about, applying the, the, the cleansing word to us by the, the power of the Spirit. And, and so let us draw near into God's presence like that. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised it's faithful God was not going to let them down. So they don't need to, to, to worry about giving up. There's that danger that he sees that some of this company may give up. Let us hold fast. He is faithful who promised. He's not going to let you down if you trust in him. Okay, so let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And then the third thing we have here is not only the idea of communion with our God, confession of our hope, but the community with our brothers and sisters. Look at verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. This idea of stirring up is provoking one another to love and good works. Um, we, we are to look out for each other. We're to mentor each other we're to help each other we're to lean on each other we're to aid each other forward as christians that's the thought here not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching you say well what's that about well he's saying listen here we are we're at this epic day when uh, this epic time period when the Lord is coming and, and it's drawing closer every day. The day is approaching. And we can lean on each other and help each other and assemble with each other. And so Christians need one another. This is really important we understand. We need to be together. And he has a worry in his mind. We'll see in this in the next section. Uh, because when he speaks about assembling together, there, there was just a danger 
that when people isolated themselves, it wasn't out of a good motive. And so we'll think about that in a second. So that's the first and the main section I want to focus on, responding to privileges. These are the privileges that we have. May you and I, brother and sister in Christ, may we respond to the privileges that we have in Christ Jesus. What about realising the pearl? This is the next section, verse 26 to 31. For if we sin willfully after we received the knowledge, you should read full knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, what is he saying here? Well, you'll notice the word for at the start. Well, that links back to the idea of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a matter of some is. He says, you see, in this community at this time, this Christian community with the, the, the ratchet effect of persecution, there was a danger that some would separate themselves from the Christians. Um, just not be with them so much anymore. And often that was the first step towards them going back to Judaism and back to judgment. Uh, and then there was the rejection of the truth. That was more public when they went back. And, and that was in danger of leading into apostasy. So he says, assemble together, encourage one another. And he says, for, for if we sin willfully, after we have received the full knowledge of the truth. In other words, as we, as we have seen all the light that God has given us, if we turn away from it at that point, voluntarily, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. You are turning away from the only sacrifice that's available to you. You're turning away from the cross. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment. Look at the difference. There's a confession of hope among believers, but those who go back, there's a certain fearful uh, expectation of judgment and fear and indignation. And so, so the provision that's there... Um, in Christ, in the sacrifice, will be lost to these people. Verse 26 to verse 27. Then there's not only the provision that will be lost, but he gives them a, a little illustration from the Old Testament. He says, remember the penalty about the law. Yeah, anyone who rejected Moses' law, they died without mercy under two or three witnesses. He says, if that's true of the little thing, imagine what it would be like for the big thing. How do you... How, much worse punishment, do you suppose, will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Now, why the Son of God? Well, God's Son, someone's very special to him, very precious to him. But more than that, it was the deity of Christ that the Jews never accepted. And so to go back to Judaism was to go back to a public refutation of the deity of Christ, to say he's just merely a man and he was a blasphemer. And so they would be trampling underfoot the Son of God, counting the blood of the covenant by which he was, uh, by which he, that's the person involved, was sanctified a common thing. So how is a person sanctified by being part of the Christian community if he's not truly sanctified in his heart? That's an interesting question. Well, actually, there's more than one type of sanctification in Scripture. One of the types of sanctification is called uh, relative sanctification. For instance, if a, a saved husband has an unsaved wife, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the wife is sanctified in the husband. It doesn't mean that they're saved. It means they've been brought into a special sphere of privilege. They've been separated and segregated and 
from the rest of the world. That's the meaning of the word sanctification, to be separated. They're not yet separated unto God in the sense of truly sanctified to God, but they are separated in the community uh, of Christians and, and in a place of privilege and, and, and a place where they can hear and know about God in a way that they couldn't out in the big world outside. And so they, that person is counting the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and he's insulting the spirit of grace. Now that sounds very similar to the idea of, of what the Pharisees did, uh, but I'll leave that for your um consideration so they had seen the work of the spirit in the lives of so many they had felt the urge of the spirit in their own lives they had felt the tug of the spirit towards christ and yet they were going to insult the spirit of grace by going back to judaism for we know him who says vengeance is mine i will repay so <clears throat> not only is the provision lost and the penalty of the laws brought to us arguing from the lesser to the greater but there's a prerogative of the Lord of the Lord. He will be the judge. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, said the Lord. The Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. <clears throat> so we have responding to privileges, realizing the pearl. That's a very solemn warning, as you can see. Now, what about recalling the past? He, he speaks to the, these people again, and this is what he says. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly when you're made a spectacle, both of reproaches and tribulation. In other words, they, they had suffered persecution themselves. Partly while you became companions of those who were so created. In other words, the other Christians that maybe were directly persecuted as much, they lined themselves up and became companions of those who were being persecuted. For you had compassion on me, he said, in my chains, joyfully accepting the plundering of your goods. So not only was there personal persecution as it were there was also the plundering of the goods they lost their their material possessions knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven okay so therefore do not cast away your confidence which has great reward you made a choice he's saying you made a choice that reflects your reflected your value system you didn't put an emphasis on the earthly things that were around um, and that was correct. Don't cast away your confidence because there is a great reward to it. He's saying, look back and remember what you've given up. Remember the value system that you hold to. Like the Lord Jesus himself says, um, uh, your, your treasures, there are treasures in heaven. And come take up your foot cross, the Lord says, and follow me. And so we come to the last section. He's looked at responding to privileges, realizing the peril, Recalling the past, finally, he's going to speak about receiving the promise. Verse 39, 36 to 39. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done a, the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. And really he's going to get to this point that continuation in the Christian pathway, perseverance in the Christian pathway is a proof of the reality of those who are really, truly believing. They're believing to the saving of their soul. So this is to do with receiving the promise. You need of, uh, 
sorry, you need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God. Now, what's the will of God in this context? Does it mean, well, I don't know, what you're going to eat today? Or does it mean what career you're going to have? I don't think that's the point here. And very rarely actually is the point, if at all, about the will of God in Scripture. The will of God in Scripture often uh, focuses on the bigger things. Okay, so what is the will of God in this context? The will of God is to live a, a life of consistent Christian testimony th- through the pain, your, this Christian pathway through the pain of faithful confession uh, onto the different world where they'll receive the promise. And so just that steady walk towards God and towards the promise is, is, is the will of God for your life. And for yet a little while, he is coming, will come, and will not tarry. He's quoting the Old Testament, and he says, listen, by the way, there's one, and he is coming. He won't tarry. When it's his time to come, he will come. The just shall live by faith. So that's really the the life of the believer, is a living by faith. Uh, It's by faith that the just shall live. In other words, they must trust but it's faith that the, by faith the just shall live. The whole life of a just person, one who has been justified and cleared from charges of guilt, is a pathway of faith right up uh, till the end. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So there's two sets of people, those who are just and those who draw back. And that's emphasized in the last verse as he brings out the this lovely and yet solemn verse, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition. He says, as he looks across a company of Hebrew Christians, he says, listen, I'm confident that we as a group, in the norm, in the main, we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but rather those who believe to the saving of the soul. So as he's finished this chapter, this epic chapter of, of the Hebrew letter, let us draw the lessons that are there for us as well as um, God's people. Let us appreciate what we have. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast the truth. Let us consider one another. Look after one another. Let us walk this pathway right to the end. No matter what pain is in the way. Until we receive the promise. Thank you for listening.